morning. But in your hands, maybe you can imagine whatever fears and anxieties that you're carrying with you. Maybe you can imagine the, the wounds and the pain of a relationship that you're struggling in. Maybe you can imagine a difficulty at work or wondering where the next paycheck is going to come from or how you're going to make ends meet for your family. I don't know what you bring into worship this morning, but God knows and he invites us to bring all of those things to him knowing that he cares about the big things and the little things in your life and in my life this morning. And now I invite you as an act of worship to, to open those fists, to open your hands, palm up, and release those things to God through his spirit this morning. Let him lift those burdens from your shoulders. And as he takes them, as you imagine him lifting them out of your hands and out of your life, recognize that as he does that, he is breaking the chains of bondage that those things represent in your soul. He invites you to experience the freedom of his love and his mercy and his grace. The amazing grace that reminds us this morning that our chains are gone and we've been set free. I want to invite you to experience the freedom and joy of living in God's amazing grace this morning. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done. And, and maybe it's, it's your own actions and your own behavior that has caused some of the weight of the world that you're carrying this morning. God wants to take that from you as well. Holy God, we ask that you would not only take these things, but you would remove them from our lives as far as the east is from the west. And in its place, you would, you would now descend through, through your spirit and that you would place that amazing grace in our hands. And I invite you now to receive that grace in a very spiritually tangible way. Close those fists and hang on to Jesus' grace. Hang on to him now and receive that into your life again this morning. God, maybe there's someone here who it's the very first time that they are choosing to receive that grace. And God, we pray for them. We ask that in this moment, you would meet them in a very personal and present way. As we look into your word this morning, we ask that you would remind us of God's, of your amazing grace through Jesus Christ and that the forgiveness that he has given us is a power within us to change the world around us for your glory and for our good. We ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus who gave his life so we might have life and have it to the full. Amen. Good morning. Wow, it is good to be in the presence of God together this morning. It is good to be in worship. And if you are visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I'd love to encourage you, if you'd be so willing, to fill out one of the Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. It's just a way of helping us to get to know a little bit more about who you are. And we'd love to have a chance to meet you this morning. Uh, you can bring that to our Welcome Center out in the lobby. If you don't find anybody there, find me or Pastor Dick and give us one of the Connect cards. And we just have a, a couple small gifts that we'd love to give you as our way of saying thank you for coming out this morning. We have our Mission Mochas in the lobby, and we we could give you a, a free card to get a couple free espresso drinks on us this morning. I'm excited because we are in the middle of a new series 
called Life Apps, where we are exploring over the next few weeks uh, different applications from the scriptures, from the Bible, that, that help us to understand how we can apply God's word in our lives in a way that allows us to not only be blessed by it, but to be a blessing to those around us. We, the way we say it is that Life App is something that God wants to do in us to bless or to change the world around us. And as we talked about last week, we recognize that as Christians, we are disciples of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. And as we apprentice our lives to Jesus as our master, what we have to understand is that for us who have said yes to Jesus, application is everything. Believing is fine. Intending to is fine. But it's what we actually do in our lives that makes all the difference. Now, we also said it's really important that we have to understand that the Bible doesn't tell us that it's what we do that saves us. It's just the opposite. Because God has already extended his love and his grace through Jesus Christ on the cross, we are free to enter into his kingdom and to live out the application that he's given us to experience the life the way that he has intended it. At the same time, while we know that it's not what we do that saves us, what we also recognize is that what we do is how we demonstrate the truth of what we believe. And perhaps even more important, it's how we experience the truth of what Jesus has taught us. We put it into practice. And in that sense, application is everything. As we think about the scripture's guidance on many of the areas of our life that might at first seem a little restrictive or we're a little unsure of if they really are going to lead to a happier, more fulfilled life, uh, we decide to manage our lives by what the scripture teaches because we believe that God is good and he shared his word with us because he wants us to experience blessing and abundance in life. It doesn't necessarily feel like freedom in the beginning, but if we trust that God's wisdom and God's goodness for us, and we apply it in our lives, what we discover is that in the end, we experience greater freedom and greater joy because it's worth it if we work it. Now, last week, we talked about the example of forgiveness, which is is a simple one, right? I mean, that's an easy, (laughs) not always, right? Our first life app is going to be forgiveness, and I want to spend some time this morning uh, digging into Scripture a little bit more to, to understand why this idea of forgiveness is so important as a life application for us as Christians. The f- instructions to forgive those who have wronged us doesn't, again, feel like freedom at the beginning, right? It, it seems like it's just a free pass for those who have done us wrong. But what we also recognize is that if we're not careful, we can become a slave to the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that comes from being wounded and hurt by those in this world. And and there is no freedom in these things. The freedom that we find in Scripture is, is in the free choice to forgive in the same way that God has chosen to forgive us, not because of anything we've done, but because of how good he is and his desire to see us be freed from our own bondage to sin and the evil of this world. In the application of forgiveness, we actually experience the freedom of Christ in our own souls. And we participate in overcoming the evil of this world by experiencing and passing on the goodness of God's kingdom that he's revealed through his son, Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus if we are Christians. Now, do you think forgiveness was important to Jesus? Probably, right? I want to turn to Luke 17 and look at some of Jesus' teaching to his first disciples. And we're going to have the words on the screen where we can all follow along together. 
Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Oh, that'll be easy. (laughs) We can do that, no problem. No, it says, increase our faith. They're saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? How could anybody do that? You have to increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. See, right off the bat, Jesus is acknowledging the same tension that we talked about last week, that that when we say yes to Jesus, we're immediately put into this opposing uh, position to what the world around us would say is the way you pursue happiness, the way you find meaning and value in our lives. Forgiveness isn't easy, Jesus said. In fact, everything in you might tell you to go the opposite direction, but forgiveness is necessary if you want to experience the freedom that he's come to give you. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that the ability to apply freedom, the freedom of forgiveness in our lives, comes in for, from, at first from the root of our faith in God. If you have just a little bit of faith in God, you can apply this life app of forgiveness in your life. And though it won't necessarily be easy, what you will discover is that it will produce fruit in a way that allows you to experience the freedom that Christ has for you. Has there ever been a time in your life when someone has done you wrong? Has there ever been a time in your life where someone has lied about you or cheated you or mistreated you in some way or harmed your reputation or broken trust in a relationship? I mean, we could all put our hands up, right? I mean, this is part of the human experience. People do people wrong. What they did has impacted us, and it's shaped us, whether it's because of the wounds that they've caused us, or, or sometimes we could even say that the way we responded to what people have done to us has equally impacted and shaped our lives, right? I mean, holding a grudge against someone who's done something wrong to us can be, really, if we're honest, one of life's guilty little pleasures, Right? I mean, doesn't it kind of feel good to to rehearse in your mind the things that you would want to say to them and and how you'd put them in their place and and tell them where they need to go? And and doesn't it feel kind of good that you know in your own mind you're vindicated because they've done you wrong? And, And one of the things that we do in terms of holding a grudge is we begin to fantasize about how we would we would get revenge on what they have done to us. If I could give them a piece of my mind. In fact, with the advent of digital communication and email and social media, aren't we finding even more and more the the inhibitions to express those fantasies and those thoughts are are much more easily expressed because there's no immediate consequences. So when we indulge these grudge fantasies and we decide to let people have it with both barrels and sometimes holding a grudge can feel kind of good. But, but here's the follow-on question. Does it ever really work? 
See, the problem with holding a grudge and being unwilling to forgive is not that, that it, it, it spares the other person. It's that it actually begins to eat us alive from the inside out. It might feel good for a while, but, but does it really work in producing wholeness and happiness and freedom in our lives? See, this, this sinister thing about uh, holding grudges and, and living in unforgiveness is that longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold on you. And the deeper you allow the grudge to go into your heart and into your soul, the deeper the grudge has lodged in your life and in your soul. See, it, it's not what they did to us. It wasn't a big deal. It it was a big deal, or we wouldn't still be thinking about it and fantasizing about it and and being so wrapped up about it, right? Of course it was a big deal. It doesn't mean that we're minimizing the impact of what they've done if we're choosing to forgive them. It becomes the weight of the grudge that has the risk of getting bigger and going deeper in our lives, and if we're not careful, it can begin to impact both the direction and the quality of our own lives. And I, I believe that's why Jesus makes such a big deal about the important, importance of forgiveness in our lives. In fact, isn't that ultimately why Jesus came? Isn't that what we have been celebrating in worship here this morning? To overcome the sin and the evil of the world with God's forgiveness and God's love. But I also want to acknowledge that as we get into a sensitive topic like this this morning, that some of us who are here today might be feeling like the the wound that you've experienced is is too fresh. It's too painful. And to have somebody stand up in front and say somehow that you need to be able to forgive this person who's done you wrong just seems so unfair and out of, you know, the scope of what you could even imagine doing in your life right now. The last thing you want to hear is somebody standing up front and very glibly saying, oh, you just need to let it go. Yeah, I understand that. But here's what I want to challenge you to consider this morning. Even though you might not be ready to forgive today, to release the grip of the grudge in your life, and that's okay because not all of us are in the same place at the same time. For today, I would simply ask that you recognize as we go through the scriptures and we look at what the Bible teaches that at some point, for your own sake, God wants to remove the grip of the grudge in your life. Because he loves you, and he wants you to experience the freedom that can only come through his forgiveness at work in us. And the only way any of us can begin to do that is if we allow the Spirit of God, the living God in us, to begin to speak to us. And through his power at work in us, through our faith in him, he can break the chains of the past and allow us to move forward into the freedom that he wants us to experience again. If we simply have the faith as small as a mustard seed, Jesus said, it was a tiny little seed, we can see amazing things happen in our lives, things we never thought possible because of his power at work in us. We can begin to believe that it's worth it if you work it. Now, in order for us to truly apply the life app of forgiveness, we always have to start at the cross. Right? The the whole theology of God's forgiveness in our lives starts for us with the cross of Christ, recognizing that God did not spare his own son for us, but gave him to us so that we could experience God's forgiveness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul 
therefore says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive each other if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, the starting point for forgiveness as an application in our lives always is the forgiveness that we have first received from God through Jesus. What the scriptures teach when we come face to face and eye to eye with the cross of Christ, and we recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we recognize that the cross is deeply personal for each one of us. It's not just a religious symbol on a platform in a sanctuary where you go on Sunday morning. It's a, it's a life symbol for you and me because it tells us where we stand in God's economy. It tells us where we stand before the creator of the universe, that we stand not only forgiven, but adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Think about everything that you have done in your life, every thought that you've had that God could hold against you. And God says, because of Jesus on the cross, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. There is nothing that you can do that can overcome my love and my grace for you. And, and, And so much so, I want you to know that, that I sent my son to die on the cross. And this symbol is the symbol that reminds you of the power of forgiveness in your life. And as we become to realize the the overwhelming, amazing grace that we sang about, why grace is so amazing, because it's not just something that God wants to give to us, it's something that when we say yes to Jesus and we receive his forgiveness, it begins to flow through us. And God's intention is that it flows out of us and we become carriers of God's forgiveness for those around us. A life app is something God wants to do in us in order to bless and to change the world around us. The cross is deeply personal. God's grace has come to you and and to me, and it's available for us every day. And it doesn't matter what it is that we've done. God's grace and forgiveness wants to transform us from the inside out. You see, for us, forgiveness breaks the chains of the past and allows us to move forward. You see, your heavenly Father deeply desires freedom for your soul. And so his grace and forgiveness doesn't just come to you. He wants you to apply it in your life in a way that you actually experience that joy and that freedom. And see, ultimately, it's really not our forgiveness that we exercise. It's his forgiveness at work in us that we allow to flow out of us to others. So how, how do we do that? If, if, if I've convinced you a little bit that maybe you want to begin to apply the application of forgiveness in your life, how do we go about doing that? I want to turn to Romans 12, 17 to 21, and see how the Apostle Paul encourages us to apply this life app in our life. Verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'd like to suggest this last verse is the crux in this whole idea of the life app 
of forgiveness. See, we're not saying that people who have wronged us should simply get off and get a free pass. We're not saying that what they've done to us isn't a big deal. In fact, if you take Paul's words here, the Bible says it's not only a big deal, but we can actually label it as evil. People do bad things to people in this world, and we all experience that, and that's a part of the sin and the evil of this world. In fact, we all participate in doing it to one another sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, right? But what Paul is saying is that we've got to understand that returning evil for evil doesn't alleviate the consequences of the original evil. In fact, all it does is just create more evil. And it becomes a never-ending cycle of revenge and getting back at each other. And it doesn't ever really alleviate or bring freedom to the souls of the people who are caught in the trap. But, Paul's saying, there's a different pathway that has been revealed through Jesus. There's a different way that you can go. There's a different way that you can approach these challenging, difficult areas in your life. If you want to understand how to release the grip of the grudge in your own life, we have to learn to overcome evil with good. Paul doesn't say that we have to choose to live in partnership with people who've done us wrong. He says we have to live at peace with them. And there's a difference. For example, if you're in business and someone steals from you, somebody rips you off as a Christ follower, it doesn't mean you have to go, oh, that's okay. Go ahead, have another $1,000 and just stay in partnership, right? You would never stay in partnership with somebody like that. This isn't an invitation for us to make ourselves doormats to everyone around us. That's not what forgiveness is about. No, what Paul is saying here is that as far as it depends on us, we now have the power at work within us to pursue peace even with those who have wronged us. It doesn't mean we have to stay in partnership with them. I think some of the times we don't want to forgive people is that we think we're going to let them off the hook and that somehow they may or may not have to answer for what they did to us. But, but Paul is saying here is that while we don't necessarily need to continue to put ourselves in harm's way, we also need to trust in the justice and the fairness of God, that God will work everything out for our good and his glory. We don't have to take on the role of revenge. In fact, if we start to take on the role of revenge, whose job are we taking over, does it say? It's God's job, right? I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever done a really good job of uh, fulfilling the role of God (laughs) in my life. In fact, I often mess it up more than get it right. See, we need to trust in the justice and the faithfulness of the God who loves us and not fall into the trap of pursuing revenge ourselves and holding a grudge is nursing that desire for vengeance. Not because they don't deserve it, but because it won't lead to our health or our happiness or the goodness of anyone else around us. See, the point I think Paul is saying here is that forgiveness is an aggressive approach to evil in our lives. Let me say this again. Forgiveness is an aggressive approach to evil in our lives. It's not for the timid. It's not for the passive. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to let people run all over me. We're talking about taking a stand for justice. We're talking about breaking the chains of sin and evil in our lives. We're talking about moving forward in spite of the brokenness and the pain that we experience. We're talking about overcoming evil with good. We're talking about living in the power of the risen Christ in our lives. Paul says we do our part and let God avenge us, and at the end of the day, we find that there are two choices that we have to experience in life. Either we can be overcome by evil, or we can overcome evil with good. And Paul is encouraging us to take the latter path because he's saying it's worth it 
if you work it. So how do we apply this life app of forgiveness in our lives? As we looked at scripture this morning, step one is first and foremost to embrace the forgiveness God has for each one of us. Because it's his forgiveness at work in our lives that gives us the power to even consider forgiving others around us. And then step two is that we forgive others. Forgiven people forgive. Then we can allow God to be the one to avenge us, and we don't have to uh, have the grip of the grudge hold on to us for days and months and even years in our lives. And then we can move into step four, which is that we can rest in the truth that we are participating in overcoming the evil of this world by living into God's goodness in our lives. Now, everybody's got a story, right? Everybody's got a story of brokenness and difficulty and pain. And and your story and my story are a part of what God is wanting to heal. When I was growing up, uh, if you were like me and you were born in the previous century, um, one of the heroes of the faith of the 20th century was this woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and some of you are probably aware that Corrie ten Boom, along with her sister and father, who were Dutch Christians, were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp by the Nazis for hiding Jews during the Holocaust. Her sister and her father both died in the concentration camp, and Corrie was released due to a clerical error, if you can imagine that. And within 10 days after her release, all the other women in her group were sent to the gas chamber and, and died. After the war, Corrie ten Boom spoke a lot about grace and forgiveness and the need to go uh, let go of your grudges. And even though she knew it wasn't easy, even when you decide to forgive, she talked about the old feelings of unforgiveness continue and they come back and you have to deal with them over and over again. But if you continue to to pursue forgiveness, uh, the momentum of the grace eventually overcomes the momentum of the grudge. And if you affirm your decision to forgive again and again, that grudge will begin to slow and eventually be still. After the war, if you can imagine all of her experience, she returns to Germany because the country had been decimated. And she went there to speak of God's grace and his forgiveness. And and I don't think I could improve on her. So if you would indulge me, I'd just love to read you a part of her story this morning. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter and bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, and I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe that God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat and the next a blue uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin, and Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards in the place. 
and now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among all the thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze in its veins. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, and I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And as I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that we stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood through my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely. Can you imagine? But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? To forgive is to be like Jesus. It's not easy. It's not a a glib forgiveness that just allows people to run over us and be a doormat, but it is the power to free our very souls to experience the presence and love of God so intensely that, that God becomes more real than we maybe ever could have imagined. I don't know about you this morning, but there might be some area of your life where you need to let go of the grudge, where you need to at least begin the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to set you free from that pain and that woundedness of the evil that someone has done in your life. And it's not because they deserve it, but it's because you deserve it. And God loves you and wants you to be free. 
Jesus refused to be bitter toward his torturers and executioners. And as we move towards Easter, we're going to be reminded that on the very cross upon which he was killed, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. See, Jesus knew forgiveness was the ultimate kingdom purpose for why he came and why he gave his life. And we are invited to apply this life app of forgiveness in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, with the the friends that we have, with the, the people that we work with, in ways that bring freedom and joy and healing to not only to our lives, but to those around us. You know, there's a couple different interpretations for what it means to heap burning coals on someone's head. It kind of sounds like a revenge thing, right? But it doesn't really fit with the passage. What most scholars suggest is that on a cold, dark night, when you need to carry embers to your fire to restoke the heat so that you can stay alive, carrying those embers to someone in need of restoking their fire is heaping burning coals on their head because they used to carry them above their heads so they didn't burn their hands. Who is it in your life that you might be able to participate in restoking the fire of their soul through, through a cup of cold water, through feeding them when they're hungry, but by helping them to know that you can forgive them because of God's forgiveness in your life? It'll be worth it if you work it. As Greg shared, this Wednesday night is Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday begins the 40-day the journey of walking with Jesus to the cross. And if you would be so inclined, if the Holy Spirit might move you, I invite you to come and join us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock to begin this journey where we apply the life app of forgiveness in our own lives first because we need that forgiveness. And then God, through his Spirit, can continue to work in us as we learn to let go of the wounds and the pain of the past and learn how to be people who overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we do thank you for your amazing grace. It is not something that any of us deserve, and yet is something that you have freely lavished on us because you love us as your sons and your daughters, as children in your family. God, we ask for your healing in our lives and that you would give us the courage and the strength to forgive those who have wronged us to let go of the grip of the grudge so that we can truly experience the freedom of your love in our lives and that we can be a blessing to those around us. It's in your name that we pray.